This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mike Wilson, Nelson Leeds fan. Wally is unavailable this morning, so I'll be hosting this morning along with your show regular. Well, I hope he's a regular since his name is on the banner. Naz Marchese. Naz, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. How are you, Mike? Well, doing very good. Doing very good. I guess we should just start right off by saying the Super Bowl last week, I saw the last half that I had a hockey game myself in the first half, and I saw the best part of the game, but it still wasn't the same without our good old Buffalo Bills and what could have been. Well, the Super Bowl was Buffalo and Kansas City as far as I'm concerned. What a game I, that was. I couldn't agree more. For sure. What a, what a great attack they had the Bills that day and so did Kansas City. And too bad one team had to lose, but the Chiefs didn't get it to the final. Cincinnati, you know what, Mike? They may not even make the playoffs next year. I don't think they're that good. Well, yeah, that, that just and, – and actually the worst part about it, Els, is if if um, uh, if Mahomes had played like he did against Cincinnati, the Bills would have been in the Super Bowl. So yeah. that's, that's the disheartening part about the whole thing. Give the Rams credit. They had a good defense all year, and defense usually wins, and they won. Well, you know, again, the old line comes again. Uh, we'll wait till next year and see what happens again. But on that note, Naz, we have a very interesting show today. When Austin Matthews isn't finding the crossbar with his face, he's been finding the back of the net at an elite level. Therefore, I found it only fitting that the man who set the bar, excuse the pun, uh, for the most goals in the league season, Rick Five with 54, will join us to speak of Austin's pursuit of his record. Uh, and incidentally, now you may want to feel old when I tell you this, but next month, March 24th, will be to be the precise date. Will mark the 40th anniversary of uh, Rick scoring his 50th for the first time. Wow, we we are old. <laughs> yes, I know. And uh, another uh, a great guest we have on today. Another milestone is going to be reached in September. It'll mark the 50th anniversary of the 1972 Summit Series between Russia and Canada. There'll be a plethora of new books, documentaries, collectibles, etc. But what a lot of people may not be aware of, the recorded versions of those eight games we enjoy today may not have been impossible without the help of this man, who's also working on an updated four-part documentary of the series for CBC. Paul Pasco will be joining us to discuss that. Yeah, you, can't, you can't find a better guy than Paul, that's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, now before we bring uh, you know Rick on and Paul, how about uh, well, what's your thoughts on the Leafs so far? Like last night was just one of those games that just uh, just. One of those games, the puck didn't bounce your way. They were chasing the game right basically from the start, and they never could catch up. And, you know, Campbell, you know, he was laid out on a couple of plays, but, you know, that big, big save you're looking for wasn't there. Can't be all on him. A little bit of sloppy on the, the defensive coverage on the Leafs end, but it's just one of those games. Put it aside, and they've got a couple of winnable games coming up in the next couple of days. St. Louis scored their winning goal on a too many men on the ice. They had too many men on the ice. The Leafs got called for it previously. And St. Louis didn't, and they ended up scoring on the play. Yeah, not making and, uh, excuses, but they did. 
Well, that's happened to him a couple of times this year with too many men in the ice. So I don't know. The boys better start taking count of who's on the ice and who your man is. It's not that difficult. Sheldon was really pissed at Nylander last night. Eh? Yeah, well, as he should be. And, uh, you know, even despite he scored two goals, he still looked a little lackluster at points uh, over throughout the game and doing a lot of flybys and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, I guess when it rains, it pours. Uh, so anyway, there you go. You have it. Now, that's the other thing I guess we should talk about here this morning is the Leafs did do what I thought was going to be pretty tough. They moved out a very tough contract for a real stud green player, Nick Ritchie, to Arizona last night for veteran forward Ryan Zengel and defenseman Ilya Labushkin. Yeah, that, that's an interesting trade. They needed to move Ritchie because he wasn't doing anything here. And they got rid of his contract for next year, so they should be able to clear some space for next season. And uh, hopefully these two guys will come out and play reasonably well, and maybe we can find a diamond in the rough in one of those. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he's been very well. Hopefully, we can find that diamond in Arizona twice. Michael Bunting's worked out extremely well, and Zengel had his biggest year with Ottawa uh, a couple of years ago. And Lubushkin, I think, is the guy they really want to look at because he's a right-handed shooting defenseman. He's six-two. He's leading Arizona in hits. He's in the top thirty in NHL as far as hits go. He's um, uh, he's not offensive. He's a physical player. He's played with Jacob Chikorin, who is actually the key asset for the trade deadline show, one of the key assets that teams are seeking out. He's really struggled this year. He only has a couple of goals, and I think he's got nine points, and he's a minus 28. I mean, his road experience is minus 54, and he's minus 28, whereas Bushkin is minus uh, a 10, I think, going into last night. So, or minus six, pardon me. So I think, you know, that if you can get him to step in and give a little bit of physical presence. I've read that he's been compared to Zach Bogosian. If you could get that out of him, he's an unrestricted free agent. Tony makes a million three. Uh, Zengel makes a million one. He's an unrestricted free agent in the year. So basically, like the old double mint commercial, you got two mints and one for, you know, the price of Richie. Yeah, well, what worries me about the lease is that uh, Matthews was knocked around last night by Bertuzzo. And yeah. uh, the lease always get Matthews always gets knocked around. Ben Sherrod knocked him around last year. They need to nullify that somehow, and maybe this guy will help. Well, that's the other thing I've always I've talked about, like not only with Masters, but noticeable with uh, John Tavares. And, and that, that's the one, I mean, William Nylander, make no mistake, is a very you know, elite and aggressive and a uh, very skilled forward, and he can score, but his physical presence is not there. And that just puts all the onus on Tavares to do all the heavy lifting, all the heavy forward checking, and he gets pounded. And it's no no coincidence that the production was dropped off because you don't have that physical presence on that side. So maybe that's why I was really hoping that Cash would work when they switched lines up a couple of weeks ago. And Nyliner, listen, you can move him around throughout the game, which Keith is want to do. And that they can't cover them all. So that will give him some more freedom to do what he does best and take some of the pressure off him to be that physical presence. But you got to protect the Bears, and now it looks like your your point is well taken with Matthews as well. So maybe Zengel will bring a little bit of that. Yeah, the Leafs always had problems. They had problems with Harold Smith, Lee Norwood, and Bob Rouse when he was just in Minnesota. I remember that. And they always had problems with those type of players. Hopefully they can they can reverse it. Well, or Marty McSorley and then after Gilmore, yeah, but yeah. there's no Wendell Clark there to come to his rescue. For sure, and uh, we need that type of player on the D. Yeah, well, I but I would say that um, uh, you know, what do you think moving forward now? Now that they've freed up some cap space for next year, 
You know, it's really getting down to this grind here, Naj, because the clock is ticking after this season. Austin Matthews has two two years left before he can walk. Uh, the following year, Marner and Tavares are eligible. Uh, you've even got uh, Nylanders up in another couple of years. Very tricky with some of the moves you have to make moving forward. And again, as we talked about before, this division Toronto's in, there's going to be a very, very good hockey team sitting out after the first round. You know, they, they said at the least don't win a series, there's going to be big changes. How can you make big changes when you're playing Tampa Bay or Florida in the first round? And they, lose. they could lose, right? How do, you, how do you make changes? Listen, people better be prepared. There's three, I mean, the, the top five teams, I was talking to Debbie last night but during the game, and I said to her, I said, you know what? You think about it, the top five teams in the National Hockey League right now, three of them are in the same division. And that's yeah. and so and one, and one of those teams is not going to be playing after the first seven games of the playoffs. If it goes that far, which it probably will. Yeah, and Boston's going to end up playing the first-place team, which is Florida right now, or yeah, Florida, in the first round, because they're going to be a wild card, right? Oh, yeah, so it could be Boston and Florida, Toronto and Tampa in the first round. Yeah. Scary yeah. stuff. It is very scary. So people better be aware of that. And, you know, I, I think that one of the things that we have to look at is, you know, like your elite players should be elite players. And Toronto's elite players are playing very well. We, we, no, no mistake about that. But where you win is with the depth players. And the depth board so far is no question Toronto probably has maybe 12 of the best in the National Hockey League. There's no question about that. Where the problem lies is back on the defense. And hopefully the move last night can be a short-term fix. But do you see them making a little bigger splash come trade deadline? I've been saying from the beginning that they're going to go after the Seattle defense. Mark Giordano? Giordano, yes, for sure, because he's, he's, his contract is up. He's going somewhere. He may be even going back to Calgary. Who knows? But they need that type of defenseman also. That's been the talk, that he may go back to Calgary. I'd love to see him come here. There's a number of guys that are out there, but the problem is everybody knows what the problem everybody has in their back end, and their agents wouldn't be doing their job if they weren't getting these guys extended or getting these guys tickets coming in, even though they are unrestricted free agents. Somebody's going to overpay. So that's why you want to be out of the box, and that's why I'm glad to see that while well, you saw it happen last week at Tripoli, and this week here, I'm glad to see what the Leafs making this move. At least they've got something done. They've freed up some space moving forward. So that's a good start there, and I suspect there's another shooting drop. What do you think of the uh, goaltending so far in the last couple of weeks, Mike? Uh, I'm a little worried about uh, Jack. Uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. He's played exceptionally well at times throughout the season, and he's played average. And you can't have that. Average goalie's not going to win you a Stanley Cup, and that's the problem. I'd like to see Mrazek play more. Uh, Rick Vive and I talk about this a lot on our show. You've got to get him some minutes in that crease. But, again, the games are so tight, sometimes you almost can't afford to take that chance. But I think they have to. They've got to let him play a little bit and get some time, especially if things start to go a little sour for Campbell down the road. I, I'd like to see Mrazek get some more opportunity. I said this on last week's show. Uh, Campbell, six foot three, but he plays small in the net. Do you see the same thing? Yeah, I do in a way. You know, he, he does seem to – it's almost like a new young he used to be, say back in his net and challenge players a lot. Well, you can't do that with these guys. These guys shoot too good. And, you know, they're, they're snipers. Uh, but he – you know, when it works for him, it works. And when it goes bad, it goes bad. So there doesn't seem to be any gray area with Jack. And that's the problem again. Sometimes maybe – maybe sometimes he gets a little too much credit for the wins. Maybe sometimes he gets a little too much blame for the losses. Yeah, he, he looks small in that for six. I was surprised. I, I 
looked it up yesterday. 1.91 meters, 6'3". Doesn't look 6'3". Plays like he's 5'11". Yeah, 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 I didn't realize it was six feet. I thought it was a little smaller than that. But anyway, that's uh, yeah, yeah, that that's a good point you're making. I, you know, I, I haven't really noticed as much that, but I do notice he is back in his net a lot, and that, you know, that's that's sometimes the downfall of a lot of goalies. But if it works for them, you know, and it has been working for him at times. So anyway, I think these guys, he's going to have to play at his peak level. At least, at least have any chance at all of advancing. Listen, we want them to win at least around this year. That that anything less than that would be a total failure, obviously. Again, and that, that the fans are all banking on that. There's no mistake about it. There's one good thing: the least power play has resurrected itself. Very good. If it goes into the playoffs like that, that'll help a lot. And the penalty kill. Don't forget, listen, yeah. the penalty kill is just as big a threat as these guys. They, they the other night they had, I think, three two on ones. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and I think that you know, when you get that threat, that's going to have teams on their heels a little bit, leaning back. Especially saw the way Pittsburgh would look like just shocked the way Toronto came at them in the penalty kill. St. Louis took the speed out of the Leafs game last night. Previous to that, the Leafs were flying out of the gate. They were flying. Well, that's, what, that's part of the problem. And your teams like uh, St. Louis and Carolina, that's what Toronto's going to get used to. These guys that are very heavy on the puck and very heavy on the body. And they don't give you any breathing room at all in the neutral zone. And that, that was very evident last night. That was very evident against Carolina. And we are going to see a lot more of that. But now, yeah, ho- hopefully they can fix that and move on. But it should be interesting. Playoffs should be interesting. We're very interested. And we're going to get an insight in a minute here from another guy who's been in the playoffs a couple of times at the Toronto Maple Leafs. So let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll bring you Rick Five. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville asked... Do you want to meet the hot Hawaiian of your dreams? This hot Hawaiian is slathered in bacon, red onion, spicy sausage, pineapple and hot banana peppers. A large thin crust is just $16.99. One bite and you'll say, Lew, wow! You might even get a lay on the beach. Call Pizzaville at pound 3636 on your cell phone. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca enterprise. Let's do this. 
They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Mike Wilson uh, filling in for uh, Wally this morning. Uh, Naz Marchese with me as usual. Our next guest is no stranger to Leafs Nation. Not only was a captain of the Maple Leafs, was the first to score 50 goals, and if that wasn't enough, did it three years in a row. Can be heard co-hosting his weekly podcast with me, of course, Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan, or on our Facebook live show every Wednesday at 6 p.m. talking Maple Leafs. Welcome, Rick Bide, to the Naz and Wally show. Squid, how are we keeping? Ah, we're not too bad, Michael. We're, uh, we're doing pretty good right now. Well... Where do you think your thoughts on our Maple Leafs now? Last night's game aside, what about what's your thoughts on the Leafs so far today? Uh, I mean, they've been pretty strong. There's no question about that. I think forward wise, I think they've they've got a, a ton of depth uh, up front. I, I think on defense, they probably need a little little bit of help, maybe uh, acquiring one or two defensemen, but. Uh, and the goaltending has been, other than last night, it's been pretty darn good. Rick, how, Rick, how are the, uh, you come back, you played in Birmingham. Bulls. What was your experience there with uh, Birmingham Bulls? Well, it, it was pretty good, actually. I mean, it in some respect, it was good because it was my first year pro as a 19-year-old underage because uh, back then the draft was 20 years old. And uh, going in there, playing against professionals and men, uh, you had to, you know, you had to really be on your game and play extremely hard. The toughest part was the year before I came there to Birmingham, they had all the tough guys and they beat the crap out of everybody in the league. So it was payback time. And unfortunately, uh we had to travel a lot and, and got beat up a lot uh, that that next year. So it, it, it was good, but it was tough at the same time. What what made you fight uh, Semenko? Well, that actually wasn't a fight. That was uh, he suckered me, and uh, like I was back checking on him. It was offside. We both kind of turned, and he suckered me, and then grabbed me by the sweater and hit me a couple more times. But I think I was already out before he even hit me the second time so oh my god yeah it was wasn't much fun while i did about that's the type of thing you had to do to survive in the league in those days uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past and the way the league was if you didn't establish yourself these guys were just going to run all over you well yeah and that's the thing i mean uh you know and i i think i've always kind of played that way growing up and and going into the pros and everywhere is like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you do. I, you can try and intimidate me all you want, but, you know, I'm not going anywhere. So you kind of had to stick up for yourself and, and make sure that uh, they knew that you were there to play and you weren't going to back down. You had John Brophy uh, as a coach back then. You had him twice, once with the Leafs and once with Birmingham. How was he as a coach? Well, I mean, I love Brophy. You know, I... I XOs, no, I, I don't think that was a big strong suit of his, but um, both cared. He really did care about the players and, and and he cared that you succeeded and, you know, he did whatever he could to push the buttons that, that made you go out and, and work hard. Uh, you know, I think 
he was misunderstood by some players who thought that perhaps he wanted them to be tough guys or go out and fight. But I, that wasn't the case with John. He he just wanted everybody to give 100% of whatever type of game they played. Well, Squid, March 24th next month marks the 40th anniversary of your 50, first 50 goal season. Now, I just asked Nez, it sure makes us feel old. How about you, my man? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> Join the club. Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. It seems doesn't seem like 40 years, but it is. And it's like unbelievable to think that that it's been 40 years that that you know, record has stood up. And uh, I mean, it'll eventually get broken, I'm, I'm assuming, and, and perhaps even this year by Matthews. But uh, you know what? Hey, had it for 40 years. Maybe it's time to pass it on. Well, I was going to say that for a while that season, you weren't even aware that No Maple Leaf had ever scored 50 goals before, were you? I wasn't aware until I was at like probably 45, and then uh, one of the uh, press guys asked me the question. He said, "You know, what would it be like to be the first Maple Leaf to score 50 goals?" And I, well, I started thinking about it, and I was thinking of all the great players that have played for the Leafs over the past decades. That you know, somebody must have done it, and sure enough, nobody had. And I, I, I was. I didn't realize that. I, I thought for sure that somebody must have done it somewhere along the line. But Frank Mahavlis had the record at 48. And uh, I think the next game, I think I scored four against Chicago to, to get to 49 and and break his record. Now, when you broke Frank's record, he made a very classy, classy gesture the next morning. Yeah, he did. He, uh, you know, in fact, I was kind of shocked. He came down to the gardens and came in and, and congratulated me and then, you know, got a couple of pictures taken with me, which I, you know, I thought was really classy on his part. Um, it's something that I'll never forget. The fact that, you know, Frank Mahavis came down and congratulated me. It was like, you know, I, I was 22 years old and, for me, it was a it was a it was a very very big thing to happen. Yeah, it's not going to be easy to get even fifty four goals this season because you can go into slumps for a long time in the, this day and age. But uh, do you find that um, the goalie's a lot easier to play against than now? Um. Well, I mean, it, it it's all relative. I mean, the game changes, it, it evolves as years go on. The technology of what they're using now as far as the skates and sticks, which are much lighter, and you can take better snapshots, wrist shots with the sticks today. I mean, we use big wooden sticks, and skates were all pure leather so they were a lot heavier by the end of the game they were even heavier because you would sweat like crazy but uh, as, as well as the gloves so I mean everything is relative I mean I've always said that somebody who scored multiple 50 goal seasons in whatever era it was could do it in any other era you take Rocket Richard and put him in today's game I think he'd find a way to score 50 goals Mike Bossy same thing Hey, Squid, by the way, you didn't use a stick. You used a piece of lumber. Like, uh, like you're, you used like a 40-pound uh, log. 
<laughs> I remember you were one of the last ones that used a wooden stick. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, the problem was when I first started, uh, I was breaking sticks like crazy. So I, I talked to the guy from Titan and I said, look, I, I need to make these stiffer and stronger because they're breaking like, you know, little twigs and and the only way they could do that was to make the shaft bigger. So it was almost square, and it weighed quite a bit. But you know what? It worked. And uh, uh, I remember one time using the same stick for 10 straight games, including the practices in between, and it never broke. So <laughs> that's, that's how big and strong they made it. Well, we mentioned already at the top of the show, you brought it up, that there's this young kid in Toronto right now, I think it was number 34, that is in hot pursuit of your 54-goal record. And we want to jinx him, but we never try to talk about that. But if that day does happen, what is, just along the same lines as Frank Mahalvin's, what's your plan if he does break it? Or do you have one? Well, I, well, I don't have a plan, but I, I would certainly like to you know, be there and... and uh you know, witness it and then maybe get a chance to go down to the dressing room and, and congratulate him the same way Frank did uh, or the next day at practice or whatever the case might be. But uh, I certainly hope that I get an opportunity to congratulate him and, and, and you know, get a picture taken with him. I, I think that would be cool. I was hoping that it would ha- it would have happened the year the pandemic hit because he was on pace with 12 games left, 47 goals. And then all of a sudden the season ended. And I think that would have been even better because he was 22 years old at the time. I was 22 when I did it. And I, I thought that would have been really cool. But, hey, I, I'd still do it now. And, and uh, like I say, it was 40 years that I held that, that record. And maybe it's time that somebody else holds it. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think, oh, go ahead, Naz. Yeah, your son uh, played with John Tavares in minor hockey. Did you see the big things coming out of there with John Tavares at that time? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, we had a powerhouse, uh, the Marlies back then. Uh, go, you know, minor Bantam, Bantam, minor Midget. Uh, Johnny was, but he was relentless. I mean, he, he, he dogged the puck all over the ice, and he just never quit um his skill was was excellent but it was more his work ethic that uh, that caught my eye more so than anything else um and you know we won the ohl cup i think we lost one game in the, the three years that he played with us so uh it was unbelievable to watch uh that team through those uh teenage years Uh, Squid, coming up, the Heritage Classic next month. Are you looking forward to it? You're, you're playing it, at, I assume. Well, I don't know if we have an alumni game or not. Um, I, I haven't gotten anything concrete on it. I know that it's pending that we might play the night before, but uh, nothing's. nobody's reached out and told me there is a game tentative, but who knows? I mean, I, I hope we get a chance to play that outdoor game the night before. I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, we got to do it at BMO. We got to do it in Detroit. It was it was a lot of fun, and hopefully we get to do it in Hamilton. What did you think of the new? What did you think of the sweater? 
Um, you know what? I, I thought it was pretty cool. It was, you know, I mean, it, it's playing, paying tribute to way back many, many years ago. Um, I liked it because it was clean. It was, you know, there was not a whole lot on it. It was just a nice, clean sweater. I know a lot of people probably uh, looking at it on Instagram didn't didn't think it was very nice, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. Before we let him go. What's that? You got anything for Rick before we let him go? No, yeah, one more thing. You played for Canada in uh, the World Junior. You saw Wayne Gretzky for the first time. What did you think of him? Uh, I thought he was terrible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny because he wasn't even at the summer camp. And then uh, before the, the camp, we the little camp we had before the World Juniors, Billy Gerlego had gotten hurt, so they needed a centerman. Well, they took this young, I don't know, 15 or 16-year-old kid out of the Sioux who's close to the lead in UHL in scoring, and then he goes and leads the World Juniors in scoring. So I would say that that was uh, probably after that, I think everybody expected great things from the great one. And uh, there's no question that he had that talent. And uh, it was like he had eyes in the back of his head. It was unbelievable the way he played the game. But it's so funny because uh, even Billy D, he had like 92 goals in like 54 games or some ridiculous numbers like that leading into that. Like he was just absolutely sick as a player himself. Yeah, Billy was. Billy, uh, I mean, I played with him. He was my centerman. And, uh, for half of those 350 goal seasons, Danny Dau for the other half. Um, but Billy was an incredible player, and then he got hurt. He came back. They put him on left wing, and he scored 40 goals. So it kind of shows you what kind of player he was, that he was able yeah. to play center, then go to the wing and score 40 goals. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he was. So, baby, hey, listen, like it's the Wally Pitt moment uh, with like like Lou Gehrig. You know, it's all what it's all about timing and. Gretz got his opportunity. He sure made the best of it, and uh, the rest is all history. And I'm sure he would have made it regardless. But uh, that certainly brought him world attention. That from coming from that tournament and leading it and scoring too as a 16 year old. No, no question. I mean, like I say, I think that pretty much was his coming out party. And then the next year, he, as a 17 year old, went to Indianapolis in the WHA. Ended up in Edmonton, and then of course the rest is history. He, you know, won some cups there, scored 92 goals in a season. I mean, who, you know, that that's just ridiculous. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, there's records that are meant to be broken, and I think perhaps his total goal mark, Ovechkin will probably pass at some point. But that 92 goals in a season, I, I just can't see that ever, ever being beaten. Pretty tough. Well, Scott. Time is always against us. Love chatting with you as usual. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, we'll talk to you very shortly, hopefully. And uh, listen, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with uh, Paul Pascal. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared, We'll never be the fastest. We'll never be the cheapest. We'll never be the snazziest dressed. What? Yeah, my point is... We want to be the best! At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza. Stone-baked, 
the traditional Italian way. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc. Last minute of play in the game. Unlike sports, the outcome of palliative care isn't determined in the dying seconds. Physically, socially, and spiritually, palliative care is giving someone the best quality of life for however long life remains, while supporting their loved ones. All services are free of charge with partial government funding. The need for palliative care is great. Making an impact is the newly opened Hospice Vaughn Mario and Nick Cortellucci Hospice Palliative Care Center of Excellence. A truly amazing 10-bed residence, the first palliative care hub in Vaughn. If you share the belief that everyone deserves to live until they die, get involved. Volunteer your time or donate to hospicevaughn.com. We are for community, by community, and together we are here to serve. They're not here to be nice, they're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Mike Wilson filling in for Wally this morning, joined by uh, Naz Marchese, as usual. Our next guest has a resume that would take a whole hour to recite. Dozens of books, documentaries, films, research, you name it, he's done it in the publication world of hockey, along with one of the largest hockey film archives in existence. I have to stop there pumping his tires. Please welcome to the NAS and Wally Sports Hour, Paul Pascal. Paul, thanks for joining us this morning, and how are you doing? Well, I'm okay, and thanks for having me. And uh, I want to say hi to NAS. And, uh, hey, NAS, uh, Wayne Weller, your high school teacher, says hi, former Marley, so uh, make sure that um, I said that to you. Great. Hi, Wayne. How are you? That's good. Uh, he was a great guy, that's for sure. Great high school coach. Now, Paul, I want to share with the listeners the latest documentary we're working on regarding the Summit Series. But before we do that, this is really kind of a bizarre story. People don't really realize how crazy it really is until they hear this. Regarding the Summit Series, going back 25 years ago, 
and they wanted to do a commemorative box set on the games and so on, only to discover a lot of the material is missing, including the English audio. You came to the rescue. Can you walk us through how that all kind of unfolded? Okay, I think what I'm going to do is just talk about it, and at the end you can ask questions, because it's a long story that I'll try to make short. So here we go. Yes. In the 80s, at the Hall of Fame at CNE, they played a film called Series of the Century, the only footage shown at the time. I went every year, I guess, to make sure Canada really won, <laughs> every single year. In 1997, the 25th anniversary, the Hall of Fame wanted to show all eight games in their theater. CBC was the first stop because surely they would have the original tapes. But they only had half of games one and four, but they were in French, no game two at all, and an important goal in game eight missing. So the Hockey Hall of Fame contacted me. I had heard that someone claimed he had the games, but all I had was a first name and a phone number. The Hall of Fame called him, but he wouldn't deal with the Hall of Fame. I tried, and the fellow said, come to his place with a large amount of cash. And I did. But I thought, what am I doing here? I don't know this fellow. We went to his basement apartment, and not only did he have the Summit Series games, there were over 100 tapes on Betamax. Remember Betamax? Oh, yeah. There was also a tape labeled Game 9, which I completely forgot about, Team Canada versus the Czechs. And the World Junior Games were required from 1977. Oh, and the guy named Wayne Gretzky, 16-year-old, played as well. <laughs> so um, I went to, um, you know, I bought them off them, and I got out of there alive. And that was an accomplishment. And, and the Hall of Fame got the, the tapes. And uh, but there was a problem. Um, and there's also a DVD set to be made for the first time to show all eight games. But they couldn't use half the games that were French and half in English, and so it wasn't going to happen. Although I had heard someone in Alberta who had recorded the, the TV audio on these reel-to-reel tapes. So the English version of those tapes were copied over the French, and it had to be done every 10 seconds because of the speed difference. And now the games were complete. And that's how the uh, the public viewers won't know this but when they watch it. But uh, that's how they came to be all eight games, plus game nine that we hope to show on the, the next DVD set for the 50th anniversary. Imagine. Did anybody get the radio part? I remember hearing Bob Cole as the play-by-play guy. Is that correct, Paul? Yes. Uh, all eight games complete with uh, Bob Cole exist. The CBC kept those, and they're fun to listen to, especially at the end of Game 7, Fred Scambati, who was doing the color for the games over in Russia, after Henderson scored the winning goal in Game 7, he says... Paul Henderson will never score a bigger goal than that. <laughs> Game eight came along, and he certainly did. So those are um, existing, and the interviews and the intermissions are, are nice to listen to because you wouldn't have heard those back unless you listened to them 50 years ago, and you would have forgotten anyway. So, um, yeah, they're, they're quite a thing to have. And there's also outtakes of the 72 series, a fellow named Al Stewart, a, a, a 
was working for Rocky Night Canada. He took um, hundreds of hours of color footage on and off the ice of all eight games, and those exist. And there's unbelievable stuff there because you would never have seen it before. So, um, yeah, so it's all going to be used for the DVD set uh, and the four-part series on CBC about the Canada-Russia series of 1972. So why don't you talk to us about a little bit about that, and we'll come back to we'll come back to the original part. But talk to about what there's been so much publicized and written and filmed and so on. We've talked about what could there possibly new that people are going to learn, or what are they going to learn in this four part documentary that you're a part of? Yeah, okay, that's a good question because it's I've worked on documentaries before on the 72 series along with Robert McCaskill and we did DVD sets and and you have to do something different. I mean, after all these years, what can you possibly tell the people that weren't, wasn't told before in all these other um, documentaries? Well, there are a lot of things that you can that we can do because we can take the Russian view, we can interview people who haven't been interviewed before that are actually there, including trainers that were behind the bench. We can we can talk about um, you know any anything that wasn't talked about or, or wasn't clear and, and a different angle on things. So yes, it's going to be different. It has to be different, and you just have to wait until um, it comes out to to find out. Now, Paul, where is some of this footage that's been uncovered? Where did that come from? Apparently there's new footage that hasn't been seen before as well. Yeah, well, there's the outtakes, for instance. And there are beautiful color outtakes of in Canada on and off the ice, ice-level footage, and which is not, a, a bit of it has been shown in previous documentaries, but... Um, we're going to be using all new stuff, and there's other sources as well. Not a lot, but um, mainly those outtakes to show different uh, angle of view or whatever of um, series. Yes. Was Ralph Mellon be involved in uh, any of the the summit series? Uh, who's that? Uh, Ralph Mellonby, was he involved in the Summit Series? Oh, yeah, my friend Ralph, yeah, he just passed away. Um, Ralph, uh, 1992, Ralph worked on the first um, video of the 72 Series, 20th anniversary. It was uh, uh, called Summit on Ice. It was a VHS tape at the time. And it had interviews of the players, both Canadian and Russian players, only 20 years after the event. So they were younger and, and they had better recall. And we're using some of those in the work that we're going to be doing for the 50th. Um, Paul, what are, um, like, like, now you're also working on a book from the Russian perspective. Maybe you want to touch on that a little bit about what the, what the, you're taking it from Russian angle, but that's the one part about it. I know when, we, when Rick and I had uh, Phil Esposito on our, and some of the Team Canada guys have been on our podcast, these guys talk about become very friendly with these Russian players, and it's very significant to these guys as much as it is to us. We never think about the Russian angle. And one of the guys, Phil told us that one of the guys told him that every September the Russians show the eight-game series 
every year without fail. Like, it's almost a religious experience every year, and that is so ingrained in their culture, in the hockey culture, it's as important to them, maybe almost more, as it is to us. Yes, uh... <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, yeah, they do show all eight games. We on our we have a show called Hockey Time Machine every Thursday night on YouTube, and we had Trichet, Kailov, and Yakushev on, and they said, yeah, they replayed them, but Yakushev will not watch Game Eight. Uh, it's too heartbreaking for them. So, um, yeah, it means a lot to them too. Um, what we're trying to get. For this book, the, by the way, the book it, we're working on is with uh, Sean Mitten, who did um, the goal that... Um, uh, Kenneth stood still. Yeah. And, stood and still. Alex Braverman, who is originally from the Soviet Union, we're getting the views of people who are watching it from there in Moscow, you know, and players and um, referees and all kinds of different people from their perspective. And it's pretty enlightening finding out what they think about the series. And that's going to be all in this book. So the book has to be different as well, because there's going to be a lot of books about the series. This has to be different, and it's going to be uh, the Russian angle and views of of people that were there but were never interviewed. For instance, Joe Scroll, the trainer for the Leafs, he was the trainer for Team Canada. No one ever spoke to him about his impressions from behind the bench in the dressing room and everything else from the 72 series. Well, he has some pretty good stories. So it's things like that to make the book and the and the, um, four-part series and the DVD set different than anything before. Now, is there anything else that uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a, uh, maybe slip a little secret to us that's coming out of the book that may be a, a surprise to somebody to found outside of Joe's Grove? Oh, well, uh, we interviewed uh, the trainer, the equipment man behind the rushing bench. You know, we had the Canadian trainer who was behind the rushing bench in game one to four. We have the referee from uh, game two. We have uh, a number of rushing. We even have... Um, Paul Henderson's grandson and Trechek's grandson on talking together. I mean, there's so many things we've done from um, a different angle that uh, I can't remember them all, but uh, and we're still working on it, but uh, believe me, we're doing things differently. Well, I remember when I followed the Leafs during the 2018-19 season, when I was in Florida and said it to Tampa, I stopped at a golf club just outside of Boca and had lunch with uh, Harry Sinden. And we were having a very nice chat, and I happened to say to him at one point, everybody always speaks to him about the Canada series, and I asked him, he said, was there ever a point, you can tell me honestly now, where you actually thought you guys could come back and win? And he said, I'll tell you the exact moment, Mike. Hey, we had a practice before we went to Moscow. And I said to myself, I'm going to give these guys a practice they will never forget for the rest of their lives. So they came on the ice, and he actually said the goalies weren't going to make a difference. They hadn't been playing very good. I didn't even bring the goalies in the ice. They just brought the players. And I skated those guys for an hour and a half, nonstop. And I ran out of drills. So I'm sitting there thinking, he said, can you imagine this? I'm an NHL hockey guy, and I ran out of skating drills. And I had no more. And I'm standing at center ice pondering what I could do next to run these guys through the ice. 
And Pete Mahalvis comes up to me, looks at me and says, is that all you got, Harry? And he said, I knew at that moment right then we could come back and win. Wow. That's interesting. Um, and, and talking about them turning around, in the, in the games in Sweden, that's when they really became a team. And by the way, um, at the time, those games in Sweden, two of them, were not televised in Canada. And one day I got a call from Eddie Johnston, and he says that he played with Team Canada. I says, I know Eddie. He said, yeah, but I actually played and, and in those games in Sweden. Can you get them? I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. But I found a contact in Sweden, Swedish TV. They actually had game two, the one with all the violence in it. Wow. <laughs> and Eddie Johnston was was the goalie. And, we, and that's where... Um, Cashman claimed that uh, his uh, tongue was split in half by Alsterner Stick and Vic Hadfield slashed at um, the Swedish defenseman. And, you know, when you see the video, you really see what really happened. I, I mean, um, yeah, Cashman said one thing, but the video shows another. And, and you know, so that, that was uh, a really interesting game to watch because you had those two West German referees were in there and you and you can see Esposito you know trying to butter them up even then it didn't work <laughs> and uh, it had some of the players who didn't play in the games against Russia in that game so yeah that's another part of the video thing that uh, we, we had uh, that is new Paul who do you think do you think Paul Henderson should be in the uh, Hall of Fame you think that I think Paul Henderson should be in the Hall of Fame? Be in the Hall of Fame, yeah. Oh, of course. You see, what what bothers me about that is people look at it singularly. They say, "Oh, well, you can't put someone in who only had an international series," or someone else will say, "Oh, he didn't have a good career." But why? You you can't look at it in isolation. You have to look at both. Those that have any sense at all about hockey in the sixteen league will know that Paul Henderson is a pretty good player. He's traded for Frank Mohavich. He, 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 he was he, over 30 goals. I mean, it wasn't easy to score then. You put that together with his accomplishments against the Soviets and the Memorial Cup and everything, and all the things he's done, of course he sh- should be a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to say, oh, so-and-so is in and shouldn't be. Well, even though it's true, uh, Paul Henderson, <laughs> he was an outstanding hockey player, and you just have to look at his record and see. Now, you just can't go by total goals and assists. There's a fellow who had a great NHL career, not superstar, but if you combine that with what he did, and, and he did quite a bit in the 72 series, of course he should be in. But there's something against him. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe the system's not correct, but, um, yeah, he should be in. There's no question about it. Well, I know that our good old buddy Brian Burke, he was on that committee, and one of the comments he made is he shouldn't be in because if he's in, then Mike Arizione should be in from the U.S. in the 1980 yeah. See, goal. That's the type of archaic thinking they have on, on in that committee. I'm surprised that he's not supposed to uh, say his reasons, obviously, but, yeah, um, Mike Arizione did not have an NHL career or any real outstanding career after that. Paul Henderson's a pretty good player. If you play in the NHL in those days, uh, I mean, you can't compare the two. So if he's thinking that way, of course he, Henderson's not going to get in. 
you can't so think of it that way. My comment back to Brian Burke, to Berkey was, well, here's the thing you're missing about that. The 1972 Summit Series is the greatest series ever in, in, in hockey, period, hands down, case closed. It changed the game of hockey forever. And that goal, that Henderson goal, changed everything. And his goal, if it doesn't go in the net in 72, the 1980 goal doesn't mean anything. So without the Henderson goal, the 1980 goal was just an upset goal for the U.S. to beat the Russians in the Olympics, and it wouldn't have had the same impact as 72 did. So without 72, 80 doesn't count. And that's my argument going back, and I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. That 72 series is pretty significant, don't you think? And it's not just one goal. I mean, he played well in the series. You know, it bothers me. Paul Henderson will say it doesn't bother him, but of course he's going to say that. And uh, I just wish that they would um, come to the senses and look at everything that Paul Henderson has done, not just one thing. Or the other thing, but yeah, people don't realize he had, he had such a long career too. Like he yeah, played, he played in the WHA and he played with Rick Rick Vive, as a matter of fact, on the Birmingham team. So he's had longevity all all the way. Well, that's right, and he also led led the league in winning goals for a couple of years, scored over thirty goals. He was so valued that the Leafs made that trade, giving up Frank Mahalovich and Stavkowski, Unger, and all that. They wouldn't have made it if Henderson wasn't part of that. He was the guy that they really wanted. And, and I remember watching him back then and studying his career. Well, he was a darn dangerous player out there. You know, they say, I run in the mill. Well, these people haven't watched him play. Well, they don't know anything about the original six back then. That's what bothers me about it. But Hey, guys, we just have a little over a minute left here. Uh, what I want to ask, Paul, one more question about the 72 series. Is there, now, we've heard before, and I think you've found it, is there, a, is there a part on the tape where Clark does say he was going to break Karlamov's ankle? They, they had the voiceover. They, did you pick that up? Well, they, they sure. Okay, the, they did, yeah, the, the stick hitting Karlamov's um, ankle is shown clearly. But the question is, was Karlamov's ankle really broken? Okay, I think you have to wrap up now. We'll talk another time about that. But yeah, that's another thing we can break. So anyway, yeah, we will go, yeah, because there is a voiceover where it says, Clark says, I'll break his ankle. And uh, we went out and slashed him, and, you know, then he was done for the series. But anyway, Naz, final comment before we go, down to 30 seconds. I want to wish my son, 33 years old today, happy birthday, Matt. Uh, happy birthday, Matt. Yeah, happy birthday, Matt. Well, listen, Paul, listen, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's very enlightening. We're going to have you back uh, when Wally's back. He's very sorry to miss this today because he wants to do a whole thing on the whole 72 series again. So we'll get you back uh, in the next few months along with maybe uh, Rob as well, and we'll talk about all that. That'd be great. Okay, guys, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, thank you. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.